0: theme which has been on the mind of Christ, and we have seen it from the Beatitude. I want to illustrate the the Beatitude which we study today, which is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, by showing you something of the pure in heart who saw God in the person of Joseph and of Mary, and of a man by the name of Simeon. Let me read to you about Simeon in the second chapter of the gospel according to Luke, verse 21 following. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him as the custom of the law required, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, Now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul also. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this important reading from his Word. Would you take your hymn book, please, and turn in it to selection number 45? Now then, we're going to stop at the pure in heart, but let's read through these first six Beatitudes. And we'll stop at the pure in heart. Let's just read them together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. If you wished a portrait of a, of a Christian, someone has said that you might be able to look into these Beatitudes and see it very clearly revealed. He stands before God in humble gratitude. He makes no claims. He knows he owes God everything. He is moved with compassion for grief and suffering of his fellow men, and so Jesus says, happier they that mourns. His life is devoted to the service of God's kingdom, not to seeking his own ends. He can be determined and aggressive and angry when the weak are oppressed, but he is never assertive or angry at flights at himself. That's what he meant when he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He longs with intensity for the triumph of goodness in his own life and in the life of the world and with a longing as strong and as much a part of his spiritual life as hunger and thirst are in the life of his body. That's what he meant when he said, Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But he is not censorious or critical of those who fail. Knowing his own weakness, he will not break the bruised reed, but he seeks to mend it. He is moved with mercy. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. He has the ability to get right into the skin of someone else and to feel their sorrow. I read not long ago a sweet little story about a a little girl whose mother had sent her to the store to get a loaf of bread, and she was late coming home. And so her mother said to her, Honey, why are you late? And she said, Well, I stopped to help Mary cry. And her mother said, What do you mean you stopped to help Mary cry? And she said, Well, you see, Mother, on the way home, I saw Mary, and she had dropped her dolly on the sidewalk, and it was broken, and she was crying. So I sat down to help her cry. Well, now, that's exactly what he's talking about, getting uh, into the skin of someone else and being able to feel, so blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. But then we come today to the pinnacle of the Beatitudes, when you reach the one that says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To sum it up, he is single-minded in devotion to God and to the things of God. And that's a very great thing to be able to say. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What is it to be pure? What is it really to be pure so that your motives are not mixed with something that is foreign or unbecoming to what should be there? We have to watch this even in our preaching. Old John Bunyan, so many years ago that it's been repeated many times by any other people, by many other people, was walking toward the door after having spoken to a crowd of people, and the lady said to him, uh, Brother Bunyan, uh, your sermon today was wonderful. And he said, Yes, madam, the devil told me that before I ever got to the door. Uh, you see, what he was saying was that he had been vain in himself. He was not uh, re- rebuking her for appreciating something the Lord had said. He was rebuking his own motive for wanting that kind of thing. And we have to watch this in our singing. We have to watch it in our playing of musical instruments. We have to watch it also in our giving. And that's what we talked about last week when we saw the contrast of a widow with only two pitiful little coins to place into the coffers of the temple. When the great rich people brought in enormous gifts, And Jesus judged the widows as the greatest gift of all because she had given, out of a pure motive, all that she had. And so you see that even in our prayers, we can be hypocritical, we can be playing a game, putting on a mask. In fact, one of the greatest of all theologians who ever lived was Soren Kierkegaard, the great Dane. And the Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard said that at the final judgment day, That it would be like a great masquerade ball in which God Almighty's voice would sound and the trumpet would blow and God would say, All right, everybody, take off your mask. Because we have been trying to fool other people. And we try to do this with our giving. We try to do it with our praying. We try to do it sometimes with our preaching, with our testifying, and with other things that we do. So Jesus wishes to condemn this. This is hypocrisy, and he does not want that. That's why the Beatitudes are teaching us constantly the contrast between what takes place inside the heart and what takes place outside the heart. Jesus knew that the Pharisees and the scribes were deeply religious people, that they were scrupulous in the performance of outside things. But he also knew what went on inside their hearts. You remember in another place our Lord Jesus said of the heart that out of the heart proceeds murders and adultery and fornication and covetousness. You remember in the Old Testament, Jeremiah Jeremiah said that the heart is desperately wicked. He said it is deceitful. Who can know it? And so our heart, which is the center of our emotion, which is sometimes spoken of as our will, because you remember when Daniel, that great man of God, purposed in his heart that he would not sin against God. And so our hearts are to be kept. And they're to be kept by the presence of the Lord Jesus being in his blessed of the pure in heart. For they shall see God. At prayer meeting on Wednesday evening, we were studying about seeing God. And sometimes if a room doesn't have light, maybe you better wash the windows. In fact, some of these ought to be washed. uh, Then more light comes in. And it's that way with our glasses. Sometimes we can't see well with them, so we need to wash our glasses so that we can see. And maybe if we can't see God's hand at work in life, it's because we're full of dirty, filthy, ugly things that are unbecoming to him. We're not pure. Our motives are mixed. I know people who see God's hand in everything and they're blessed by it. They are pure in heart. They're pure in heart as far as their prayers and their giving. And as part of their witness and their work for Jesus is concerned. Does this mean that the pure in heart are not going to suffer? No. But it means that they know that God is keeping watch over his own. When we read today those lovely, old, familiar lessons that are taken from the Gospels telling us of the birth of our Savior, we come to that sweet, blessed maid, probably 14, 15, 16 years old, Mary, the mother of our Lord, how we need to pay attention to her more. Think about Mary. If God's Messiah was to be born into the world today and you're a young woman, would he choose you because you're pure in heart? I think she must have been a very, very special little girl. I think she must have been very, very clean. I think her prayers must have been very real to Jehovah. I think her attendance in the synagogue school and her worship in her mind must have been much filled with God. I think that each time she saw flowers, she thought on her heavenly father. I think that every time she looked at a lake, she thought about his wonderful glories, Mary. And so, this precious child is One day, hearing the voice of Gabriel, the great spokesman of God, the angel of God, speaking to her, telling her that she shall conceive and bear a child. Now, the young girls were engaged by the time they were 14, 15, or 16 in Jesus' day. Joseph must have been about 25 He would have finished his carpentry training and his apprenticeship. And he would have married someone younger. And so there is a formal engagement that takes place, but this engagement is considered a very, very strict thing. So much so that if the person violated that engagement that was made, that betrothal, they could be stoned under the provisions of what had been recorded in the Law of Moses in Deuteronomy. And so Moses had written the laws there governing purity. And in an age that is vulgar and crass and crude and immoral and licentious. Such as we live in. When the plays and the advertising and everything else seems to be so geared and so loose and so ugly. What a blessing it is to see uh, this little girl, pure in the sight of God. If you study the great painters down through the ages, they always paint the Blessed Virgin Mary. And beside her is a lily that's pure. But if they had listened closely to the scriptures, they would have put a drop of blood upon that lily. Because of the agony that comes to Mary. When the angel Gabriel tells her that she shall conceive, she asks the question, how can this be? I've never had relations with a man. The angel tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her, and just as light shines through a glass and does not break the glass, so the Spirit of God will come upon you, and that holy thing, which is to be born of you, will be the Son of the High. Mary's blessed heart was confused. She went to see her kinsman, Elizabeth, up in the mountains. She didn't know what to think. I've often wondered who Mary's mother would have been and how, whether she could have been the kind of person she could have talked to. Why did she go and see Elizabeth? Anyway, she went to see Elizabeth. Do you remember the delicate things that are told us there? How Elizabeth, already in her old age, had conceived and the child she was to give birth to would be the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist. How the babe moved inside the mother. Those expressions Luke, the physician, tells us because he would know all about things like that. And only a woman would have told that sort of thing. And I think that Luke himself in his researches for his gospel must have gone back and interviewed Mary and she told him all these things. And so the Blessed Mother of our Lord received encouragement from Elizabeth and Joseph. Mary is pure and Joseph is a pure and righteous man. God didn't pick just anyone. To be the protector over the baby Jesus that was to be born into the world. And I think we Protestants have often made a mistake by not thinking enough of Mary. I have an old Catholic priest friend. He used to be always teased by some people who talked to him about praying to Mary. Now, I don't believe in praying to Mary, but uh, there are people who make too little of Mary. And he told of how one friend had said to him, Why don't you know that Mary was no better than your mother or my mother? And do you know what he said? He said, Well, I think you'd have to agree that there's a lot of difference between their sons. It was a good point that he brought out. It wasn't just anyone that the Lord chose. And so Mary was chosen for this. And then she had to... Go in the confusion and the perplexity and the pain of wondering whether she would be exposed, whether she would be stoned to death. And then this decent craftsman, this carpenter from Nazareth, this Joseph. What a good person he must have been. Righteous. He knew what the law demanded. Deeply in love with Mary, confused, bewildered, unable to believe the tale that he had been heard. Perhaps Mary had gone to him to the carpenter's shop to tell him what had happened. And he couldn't take it all in. And yet he was decent. He didn't wish her to be exposed to indignity or to be stoned. And he tried to think of the things that he could do. To go ahead and marry an adulteress seemed out of the question to him. To tell what she had done would mean that she would be stoned to death and disgraced. And that didn't seem right. Maybe the best thing to do would be to hush it up quietly. To let her go someplace and have her baby. And then the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, comes to him. And tells him in a dream. What a great honor will be his. And what a marvelous man this Joseph must have been. The protector. The protector over Mary. And these give to us examples of purity in heart of those who see and hear God's hand at work in their lives. I remember going through New York City from time to time and always trying to ask the person driving the car to point out to me the, uh, the great Queensborough Bridge that's there. And the reason is that a few years ago I clipped out of a, a magazine uh, a story that happens to be quite true about a man by the name of Michael Pervoznik. And you know what Mike Pervoznik does? He has the sacred occupation of painting the Queensboro Bridge 40 hours a week, every day. That's what, I mean during the, uh, the work time. Well, that's his job. They just paint it all the time. When they finish one end, they just start over again. But 40 hours a week, he paints on the bridge. You wouldn't think it was much of a sacred occupation. But one day while Mike was painting on the bridge, he saw a skinny little girl, just a teenager. Pinny up a beam and climb out onto the superstructure. And he was painting away and he saw this. He knew instinctively what was going to happen. And so he screamed to the top of his voice Wait! What's the matter with you? And she called back, screaming in her tears Nobody loves me. I'm all alone. I don't have any money. Mike Provoznik prayed one of those quick prayers to God to help him to say the right thing. And you know what he said? I got a quarter. He said, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. And it worked just like that. She started to cry more, and she said, will you come and get me? And Michael Provoznik climbed up, and got her and brought her down and took her to someone who gave her help and he showed her love. He was a protector who assisted her in her trouble and helped her there. I think of others who have been protectors of those who have been poor and those who have been in need. Elton Trueblood is a friend of ours and he did the world a great service when he compiled a little book of the prayers of Samuel Johnson. Samuel Johnson is the greatest man in all of the history of English literature and Samuel Johnson was a man who came to a knowledge of Christ as his Savior and Lord and who kept a diary And who illustrates also this role of protector. A man who sought to be pure in heart and was greatly conscious of his sins. And who saw God and saw his responsibility to work for God. Let me read you what this greatest man of letters in all of England wrote in his diary. Yesterday, October the 17th, about 10 o'clock in the morning... I took leave forever of my dear old friend, Catherine Chambers. She came to live with my mother about 1724, and has been but little parted from us since. She was a chore woman, a maid who worked in their house. She buried my father, my brother, and my mother. She is now 58 years old. I desired that all in the room should withdraw. And then I knelt by her bed and told her that we were to part forever, but that as Christians we should part with prayer, and that I would, if she was willing, say a short prayer beside her bed. She expressed great desire to hear me pray. She held up her poor hands as she lay in bed, and with great fervor, while I prayed, kneeling by her, nearly in the following words and then he records the prayer. Finally, I kissed her and she told me that to part was the greatest pain she'd ever known. I humbly hoped to meet her again and part no more. Now here you have an unusual theme. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Samuel Johnson had thought to purest. Purify his heart. He had seen God and had seen his responsibilities to God. And so you have this unusual demonstration of the greatest man in all of English letters kneeling by a scrub woman's bed to pray for her in the extremest hour of her life and to comfort her. This is a man looking after a woman in her need, an impulse that was genuine in Joseph. Genuine in Michael Provosnik, and genuine in Samuel Johnson. And then we come to this man whose prayer had always been that he might see God. That he might see God's Christ. Tradition tells us that old Simeon, that Simeon was one of the 70 who had helped to work on the Septuagint, the Greek verger, version of the New Testament. And, of course, when he got to the prophecy in Isaiah 7:14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. The great passage there for virgin. Parthenos can only mean one thing, and that's virgin. And when they translated it Parthenos, Simeon said, This is impossible, it cannot be. But then legend has it that an angel came to Simeon and said, don't be so foolish. What faith can believe, God can perform. And Simeon humbled himself. And Simeon sought God's face there in his occupied city. And he prayed in the temple. Until one day, this pious and devout old man who was waiting for the consolation, the salvation of Israel, saw this peasant couple come into the temple. And when he saw them come into the temple precincts to do what the law of Moses commanded for the child, the Holy Spirit caused some excitement inside his heart. And somehow the Holy Spirit told Simeon to go over there where that little couple were. And when he went there and looked at that tiny little hand that came up and perhaps touched him, Simeon's heart was so touched that he uttered this great prayer, which millions of people have died praying. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You had better not die without seeing Christ. It would be well for your soul that you did not die until you had made sure that you see Jesus Christ and know him as your Savior and your Lord. Until your heart is purified, and you understand his work in your life. That's what we need. Not long ago we had in our own church the occasion where someone in our church who loves Jesus Christ and is devoted to him had born a little baby with an open spine And the grandmother and the grandfather who prayed with all of their hearts for this little baby had to fall asleep at night crying and praying to God, why should this thing happen? To a young boy going into the ministry of the gospel and to a young woman who is precious and who seeks your faith, they prayed and they sought the Lord's face. And that sweet grandmother told me that there came to her at such a time as this something which brought to her heart a great deal of encouragement. And it was to think of other mothers who had gone through pain and suffering, but because they were pure in heart, they had seen God. And she had received help because of a poem written by a member of the Montreal Church. You might take it out, and I'll close with the poem. It's the poem. If you'll notice in the Bible, there are three remarkable people, Joseph and Moses and Daniel. Joseph's, uh, Joseph's story is told of how he was cast into a pit and how God raised him up to be the great deliverer of Israel. Moses' story is told. And what would you have given for the life of little Moses in the river when he was thrown away under the persecution of people who did not want little babies? What would you have thought of Daniel to be taken by a cruel captive? How could God take these three people? Listen to it what Ruth Graham writes about it had i been joseph's mother i'd have prayed protection from his brothers god keep him safe he is so young so different from the others mercifully she never knew there would be slavery and prison too had i been moses' mother i'd have wept to keep my little son praying she might forget the babe drawn from the water of the Nile. Had I not kept him from her nursing him the while? Was he not mine and she but Pharaoh's daughter? Had I been Daniel's mother, I should have pled, give victory. This Babylonian horde, godless and cruel, don't let them take him captive. Better dead, almighty Lord. Had I been Mary or had I been she I would have cried as never cried mother anything O oh God anything but crucified with such prayers importunate my finite wisdom would assail infinite wisdom God how fortunate infinite wisdom should prevail all things work together for good to them that love God and God's hand is at work in history and we are told some wonderful things about the pure in heart may I close with some scripture and there shall no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. They shall see his face. And then carved on the stone of Dr. Bell out of Swananoa Churchyard, are these words, As for me, I shall behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him, just as he is. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared them. In the words of Jesus, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and they shall see him always at work in their lives. Let us sing the first and last stanzas of number 400. Let us receive the benediction. O oh God, our Father, the greatest and the best thing that could happen to any of us at this Christmas season would be that while mortals sleep, that we understand that you're watching over us and that we should look to see you and that the Christ who was born in Bethlehem might truly be born again in our hearts and a refreshed knowledge of his lordship and his conscious rule in our lives might be maintained. So that those who go through hectic troubles at this Christmas time might be able to see something of the love and something of the joy and something of the goodness which Jesus has brought into the world Reflected by those of us who claim to serve him. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the love of God our Father. And the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Our keeper and our guide. Be and abide with us all. Now and forevermore.